Good morning. Good, you're awake. Um, we've thought a little bit recently about driving tests in our house because uh, our uh, son Daniel uh, just uh, actually got his G2 uh, recently. And uh, yeah, we're happy. That's good. Um, mom's particularly happy. She doesn't have to drive him to and from work all the time. It's very good. Uh, scary. We're thinking about November when Josh turns 16, not that far away, and he'll have the opportunity to go through his uh, process of getting a uh, driver's license. And uh, a lot of you as parents uh, have been through that with your kids, and uh, perhaps most of us here have learned to drive at some point in our lives. And uh, one of the things that you learn about as a driver is uh, to pay attention to your blind spot. Now, there'll be a certain amount of irony in the visually impaired man standing at the front of the church this morning talking about driving. I'm glad you appreciate that. However, once upon a time, I could see well uh, and was able to drive. So I I got to learn all about the the blind spot on a vehicle. And if you have never learned to drive or you're not old enough, uh, you can still experience this phenomenon. Uh, It's pretty simple. I mean, if you just sit in the the driver's seat of a vehicle and adjust your rearview mirror and your side mirror, and have somebody in the, behind you, you can see them. But there's a certain point at which a person will come up alongside the vehicle and, and you can't see them anymore because they enter the vehicle's blind spot. Now, this is dangerous for obvious reasons. And, and maybe, as a driver, you've had the experience of cruising along the road and starting to make that lane change when all of a sudden the blaring horn beside you snaps you back to, oh, wow, there's something there. Now, if you haven't had that experience, it's quite possible you've been the other driver, okay, yes, (laughs) who's been driving alongside somebody else who starts to make that mistake, and you lay on the horn to make them aware of your presence. When uh, we first came to visit Peterborough, we drove from Pennsylvania up I-81. We're passing or attempting to pass a a truck, a a big 18-wheeler transport, that decided that he wanted to occupy the lane we were in without checking, I guess, the blind spot, that ended up forcing us off of the highway into the median. And that was scary stuff. It was incredible that there was no damage and nobody was hurt. I, I would say it's probably nothing short of miraculous as we were forced into the median. And, and to, to this day, if, if I'm riding in a vehicle and we come alongside of one of those big trucks, I kind of get nervous, knowing that that potential is there. The blind spot is a very, very dangerous place. I, I've learned more about blind spots because of my vision loss, because the condition I have affects my retinas. One of the early symptoms was developing blind spots in my visual field. And uh, even a small blind spot can be dangerous. I learned this um, uh, probably in the late 90s, about the time when I played the last game of softball I ever played. It's not as bad as it sounds, but it was close. (laughs) Just some recreational softball. I'm standing at shortstop. I watch the pitch being lobbed in. Batter makes contact. Ball goes into blind spot. Now, I'm only guessing the exact trajectory because I feel like I felt the wind when it brushed past my ear. And 
just thinking about how just a little bit to the left would have been incredibly unpleasant. <laughs> you know, I, I realized... Well, I actually stopped playing softball, by the way. That was the last time I ever stood on the field. But I, but I, I actually realized how dangerous that small blind spot was at that time. So, of course, as the blind spots have gotten larger, in some ways the danger has increased because you can hide bigger things in there. So, blind spots are dangerous. And the term blind spot as an idiom is, is, be, is used to refer to other things besides this type of physical, literal blind spot. Uh, it can refer to blind spots in different areas of our lives. You have heard this type of terminology, right? Uh, it could be something to do with your work. You may know somebody who thinks they're really good at something, and they're not, but somehow they developed a blind spot. And, you know, it could be something like the way they communicate through email, and it never makes sense, and <laughs> they think they're a wonderful communicator, but no, nah, not so much, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it could be relatively harmless, or it could be more significant in, in terms of the way somebody an, interacts with people, and they just may not realize that it's a problem. There can be blind spots in our relationships. Now, you've heard it said that love is blind. And I think that at its best, we all understand what that means. When we overlook the little nitpicky things that are you know, problematic with people, idiosyncrasies and quirks. If you really don't understand that concept, I invite you to talk to my wife after the service, and she will, can explain to you what it's like to have to overlook somebody's idiosyncrasies and quirks because you love them. Uh, and, and that's the good side of that, where we don't nitpick because we care and we love and we have grace with people. But you know, there is a limit to that. There has to be. Because at some point, there is a line that we can cross over to the darker side, where people have developed blind spots in their relationships with people who are destructive and do things that can hurt themselves or other people. And ignoring it is very, very bad. And what's really interesting about that, too, I've noticed, is that sometimes these blind spots are literally, they just don't see it. But some other times, there's a willfulness to the blind spot. They choose to look away or to ignore the situation. In relationships, maybe it's because somebody's really insecure and they, they, they just can't imagine living without that person, so they're not going to confront the issue or... Maybe they choose not to deal with it because they don't want to do the hard work that comes from dealing with a blind spot uh, issue. Um, spiritually, we can have blind spots. There can be things in our spiritual lives that uh, we're just not aware of. Maybe it's a tendency to fall out of intimacy with God where we don't spend the time we need with Him and we just don't realize the toll that it's taking. I would like to suggest this morning that a spiritual blind spot could be every bit as dangerous as a relational blind spot and even a physical blind spot. Things that we don't see and identify can cause problems, and they can be significant. But fortunately, the Bible does talk about ways we can avoid having blind spots in our lives, and things that we can do that can actually really make a profound difference in our ability to recognize these types of things and to avoid the problem altogether.
And uh, this morning we heard read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the Apostle Paul is writing, talking about the idolatry of Israel. Now, a few weeks ago when we met outside, Brian uh, Miller talked to us about idols. And uh, if you remember some of what Brian said, one of the simple ways that we can identify an idol in our lives is looking at anything that takes the number one spot in our life, operating with the idea that God is to occupy the number one spot in our life, anything that pushes God out of that number one spot and becomes more important to us, whether it's a good thing or not, could be an idol. And if you think about it, I mean, many people, you know, have issues with money. Money becomes an idol for people. If you're like me, uh, the tendency towards your own kind of comfort and gratification can sometimes be a tricky area that you have to watch that doesn't take that number one spot. There's no shortage of things that can become idols in our lives. If you're really uncertain if there's one of those things in your life, I'd suggest you ask your children, if you have them, what you spend the most time doing, and they'll probably surprise you with the answer. What's most important to you? I I was reading a book recently about uh, a professional wrestler uh, named Shawn Michaels who came to faith, and he posed that question to his six-year-old. What's most important to your dad? And the kid answered, wrestling, because that's what you spend all your time doing. And for him, it was a wake-up call. And he realized that that was true. And if you look at your life, if you look at where you spend the majority of your time and you look at where you spend the majority of your money, you may get an idea of what's most important to you. And this is important because we don't want to develop that blind spot in our life that allows us to develop an idol. And and this specific warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first few verses, the Apostle Paul talks about the Israelites. And as they were delivered out of Egypt and out of slavery. This was a miraculous occurrence. You think about everything that happened with the parting of the Red Sea and the cloud that they had to follow and the food that was provided for them. They experienced such tangible provision at the hand of God that showed them that He was leading them. But still, somehow, they had this tremendous blind spot that had them constantly drifting back to idols. And it seems like they they didn't recognize that. And why this is very, very important to us can be summed up in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10. Depending on the translation you have, it could say something like, this is an example for you. Or, as we heard this morning in the New Living Translation, this is a warning for you. This is not something that happened thousands of years ago that has no relevance to us today. Sometimes we get fooled into thinking our culture is so different that what the Word says doesn't necessarily apply. But the reality is that as human beings, we haven't changed that much. And this example can serve as a warning to us. After verse 6, 
Paul goes on to list a few more things. And it's funny, when we divvied up the reading this morning, what's that? (laughs) Somebody read the part about sexual immorality and said, oh, I have to read the part about sexual immorality. (laughs) And uh, uh, the thing is, is that um, the examples that, that, um, that Paul gives, he follows up in verse 11 with the same, almost the exact same wording, that this is an example to us. It is to serve as a warning. Now, if you've ever encountered anything that has a warning label on it, I I assume you would generally pay attention to it. But if you come up against something that has several warning stickers slapped all over it, it kind of increases your attention level, I hope, right? That there's danger here. There's something we need to be aware of. And I feel like that that's what this passage represents, is these warning symbols to us, that what the word has to say can serve as an example to us to help us to avoid falling into these types of patterns of behavior or these problems and hopefully not having them sit in our blind spot where we're unaware of them. And it's not just the example of idolatry. I think one of the Uh, best examples that comes to my mind is actually from the story of David. Now, David, if you read his story in his entirety, the the Psalms are, you know, are wonderful, passionate, heartfelt cries to God. And there's so many things about David that would be worth emulating. But we also realize that he was a flawed human being. And, you know, it seems like David had a particular weakness when it came to women. And even if you look at the fact that as a king, you know, he had his wives and his concubines and God had said, that's not a good idea. But I feel like in some sense, there's like this idea that David, because he was king of a nation in the culture and context that he was in, that's what kings did. So he was all too willing to go along with that. And it certainly as a side made me think of how often we can uh, as, as people look at our peers and those around us and envy what they have and say, oh, well, if they have that, I should have it. It's very subtle, but that creeps in sometimes right into the blind spot. But David's problems were a lot more overt. Uh, as, as he interacts with Bathsheba, I mean, at no this is what stuns me about this. At no point there's any indication that David is like, oh, this is a bad idea, or it's wrong. He sees her. He lusts after her. He commits adultery with her. And it would be very interesting to know what might have happened if she hadn't become pregnant, if at some point he might have gotten an idea that this was wrong. But when she becomes pregnant they have a very big problem because they can no longer hide it. Still, David's not acknowledging it as sin. There's no indication that he is actively considering that he's wrong, but he certainly seeks to cover it up. He develops this really elaborate plan, Bathsheba's husband Uriah, back from the battles that he's off fighting, to get him to uh, spend the night with his wife so that the sin will be covered up, the pregnancy can be explained, of course, Uriah, being a very you know, scrupulous guy, full of integrity, doesn't go for that. He refuses to go home and spend a night in comfort when he has fellow soldiers out on the battlefield sleeping there. 
So all of David's scheming fails miserably. Does he say, no, you know what? I'm so wrong about this. I need to repent. He, He ends up sending Uriah back to the battle with a note that is going to get him killed. And read, read through it in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's a very compelling story. David ups the ante and commits murder. The last time I checked, adultery and murder were on the top 10. But somehow he doesn't see it. And this is not entirely like an old thing either. I, I was just reading recently in Galatians. You know, Galatians chapter 2 was also written by the Apostle Paul, but he tells a story about a little incident he has with Peter. We're talking about Peter the disciple. Now, I know Peter was shaky at times as a disciple, but you know, at the end of it, when Jesus was resurrected, you know, it seems like Peter's got his stuff together again. And, and Jesus says, you know, you are the rock I'm going to build my church on. We get this sense that Peter's, you know, solid. But in Galatians chapter 2, we get this interesting little story about Peter visiting Paul in Antioch. <laughs> and they, they are fellowshipping with the Gentiles there who are not circumcised. And, and back at that time, this circumcision thing was a big deal, whether you had to be circumcised or not, right? There's this big religious thing. We don't have those today, right? That's a joke. Come on, you know that. <laughs> religious stuff, right? That they, 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 they were trying to figure it all out. And Anyway, but Peter was okay with, with, with hanging out with these Gentiles until some other guys show up. I think they were disciples of James. And then all of a sudden, Peter won't hang out with the Gentiles anymore. Uh, anybody have somebody in their life where you're like, they act one way around one group of people, another group of people, they act differently. None of us ever did that, right? <laughs> and, and, and Paul calls it for exactly what it is, hypocrisy. And this is what is really fundamental for us this morning to understand about recognizing blind spots, is that so often things are obscured, they're hard to see for us, but other people can see them. Look at the example of David and Bathsheba. David conducts himself in this manner and continues to marry Bathsheba, and never confessed that there was any problem, apparently completely oblivious. Talk about a blind spot. So what happens? God sends the prophet Nathan. And of all things, Nathan tells David a story about a rich man, a poor man, and a sheep. How do we get there? I don't know, but he explains this. It's great. It makes an awesome Veggie Tales too, if you've ever seen it. And it explains that whole story to all of a sudden bring realization to David that he has sinned. It took the outside perspective to slap him into awareness of his sin. And as believers, this is something that I think is really important for us to consider. That other believers play an important part in our lives and can help us to recognize issues and can also help us to avoid them. It is incredibly important for us to have those relationships. We can't live in isolation. As a matter of fact, the past few months, the elders have been talking about our mission, our vision, our core value. And just this past week, 
we were discussing values and we were talking about depending on one another and how that fits into our values. And obviously, we just are not meant to live this Christian life on our own. And accountability can be such an important part of our walk with God because other people can help us to recognize areas in our lives that we may miss. And we have to be careful there. There's no doubt. I mean, Jesus references being judgmental. I think it's Matthew 7. There's, there's a couple of places in the gospel where he talks about that speck of sawdust thing. He says, you know, do not be too quick to remove that speck of sawdust from your brother's eye when you're missing the lumber that's in your own eye. So obviously, it's not about being judgmental. It's very important to avoid. But in authentic, transparent relationship with each other, we are able to help one another to recognize where there's blind spots. It's kind of like when you look at that vehicle. You know, if you're standing outside of it, you've got a whole other perspective. It makes it a lot easier to see what's going on around it. Of course, all of this is built on the foundation of the Word of God. It doesn't work outside of that. And when you look at, again, the way that Paul words his warning in 1 Corinthians 10, it's, to me, it's almost like that idea that we, the, the Word gives us the road lines and says this is the path that you can walk in and be straight and narrow. And is it safe to change lanes? You can check. Is that a safe lane change? Is there anything I need to be worried about? The word serves as a guide and a map in that area. And I don't think any of us today would leave and and, and tape over our mirrors and paint our side windows and back window black so we couldn't see through them, so that we wouldn't use them, because that would seem quite foolish, right? But yet, so often, we have these gifts that God has given us through the word and through the relationships that we have with each other, and we fail to take advantage of them. We ignore them. And I don't want that to ever come across as being kind of condemning or judgmental. I would much rather we see it as an opportunity, an opportunity today to realize, oh, man, I have this incredible, incredible advantage in my life, this opportunity that God has blessed me with to be surrounded by my brothers and sisters in in Christ and to be able to develop those kind of relationships with them where, where we can speak truth into each other's lives and build one another up and edify each other. And I have the word of God as a gift that I can use as a map and a guide and all of these examples that help me to avoid the pitfalls. There's actually quite a word of hope that's contained in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when you get into, I think it's verse, excuse me, verse 13, uh, where, where uh, Paul talks about not being tempted beyond what we can bear and, and always having a door to be able to avoid temptation. And that's the hope that I think we need to focus on this morning, is that, that these are resources that God has given us to be able to avoid blind spots in our life, that by looking to one another and looking at the word, 
we can actually avoid ever getting into the tight spot. And if you're in a position this morning where you're not sure exactly how to proceed with that, if you think, I really love to be able to start building those kind of relationships, but I'm not sure where and how I connect, then this morning would be an excellent opportunity before you leave. You can come chat with me or Ben uh, or Brent or, or uh, Richard or Arnie or Brian as elders. would love to be able to help you to connect and build the kind of relationships that would help or get you connected with the resources that would help you to be able to use the Word of God in a way that would you know, really help you to use, utilize it to be able to avoid blind spots in your life. Father, as we reflect on your word this morning and prepare our hearts to, the, to uh, just be uh, present here around your table this morning, God, I just pray that what your word reveals to us would really, um, would really take root in our hearts and uh, that, Lord, that you would speak to us where we're at. Each of us individually has come with different things uh, different things in our lives from different places and we, uh, and, and we all need you. And Father, I just pray that you would, you would come this morning and meet us at that point of need, at that place where we most need to hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name.